This is Drive Time Prop, where we give you 30 minutes jam-packed with the news of the day from our perspective of liberty, truth, and true justice, rather than propaganda, agendas, and BS that you're getting from the mainstream. This is Monica Perez. And I'm Brad Binkley. The big story today, this week, over the weekend, is Jeffrey Epstein reported dead by suicide in, I think it's federal custody, causing an uproar uh, throughout politics and the media. It did not take me long to see that conspiracy theories were going to take center stage in the Epstein case. And it, in my opinion, is no coincidence that that's right on the heels of the FBI launching a new focus on conspiracy theories as domestic terrorism, as a threat to our democracy. And the whole conspiracy theory theme around Epstein seems to me to refer to a, a kind of a throwaway passage in Cass Sunstein's fav, famous memo on conspiracy theories that some conspiracy theories are justifiable and some are not justifiable. So when you're in a closed society like the Muslim world where they cannot expect the news to be fair or uncontrolled, it is justifiable for them to believe anti-American propaganda or anti-Israel propaganda when it comes to 9-11, for example. But in an open society like ours, we are it is not justifiable to wholesale discount what's coming out of the mainstream media or official sources. And I feel like this Epstein case is going to be a lesson in that. They made a conspiracy theory set up. I think this started even before the Miami Herald thing. The way this is rolling out was a psyop that's a year old or multi-years old. And that the way they're bringing it to the fore is they're going to say they had to make a conspiracy theory that everyone could get their arms around or competing conspiracy theories or whatever, like a story that was big and just truly justifiable to have conspiracy theories question if this, if there was foul play, whatever. And then uh, say, okay, the way you can figure out justifiable from unjustifiable is we live in an open society. You have to trust the government. You have to trust the media. And if you don't, that makes you a threat to the American way. That's what I'm getting out of the bigger narrative. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think the conspiracy theory narrative started at least back in 2016 when Hillary Clinton gave her alt-right speech, which is what thrust Alex Jones and the whole evilness of conspiracy theorists into the media. I think from that point on, it's been an ongoing campaign to demonize conspiracy theorists as long as paint them as far right instead of people who just ask questions. And to to your point, there was an article today that was about how deep fakes were not prepared for deep fakes. We're ill prepared for them in the in the coming election. The public is not ready for the tech. It says why tech companies are ill equipped to combat the internet's deep fake problem. I find that interesting because nobody questioned whether or not maybe an Epstein photo is a deep fake. We're told on one hand that we're just not ready for deep fakes. We're never going to be able to differentiate between what's real and what's fake. And then we're told to believe this picture, believe that it's real and not question it. Yet the only companies that are being trained, quote, quote unquote, trained by the Google News Initiative to authenticate photos and videos are the ones that are part of this Google News Initiative, like CNN, MSNBC, the Miami Herald. So that's another way they're going to be 
eliminating all the possible sources. They're going to say only those who have been trained by Google to authenticate whether or not something is real, those are the only ones you can trust. Everybody else just simply doesn't have the training. So I found it interesting that that deep fake article came out today along with these conspiracy stories. But I have like six headlines that I can uh, rip off real quick about the Epstein thing. Do you have one that you wanted to go to first? No, just the general Epstein story is, I think. Yeah, there's plenty to it, so go ahead. Absolutely supports your thesis. Jeffrey Epstein's death by apparent suicide inspires new conspiracy theories. That is from CBS News. A couple of quotes from that one. Online theorists Saturday quickly offered unsubstantiated speculation, including some retweeted by President Trump, that Epstein's death wasn't a suicide or it was faked. Mr. Trump's retweet of a conservative commentator, Terrence K. Williams, continued to reverberate, drawing bipartisan anger from members of the Senate Intelligence Committee who said the president was playing directly into the Kremlin's interest. <laughs> so it's the Kremlin's, which I immediately after this happened, I tweeted about how I was going to be blamed on the Kremlin. I did. I listened to the 21st Century Wire uh, podcast on this over the weekend, and they had a couple of very good little nuggets, one of which was that uh, Joe Scarborough said that this killing someone in their jail cells is the Russian style. Was that Joe Scarborough or was it one Joe of the – Joe Scarborough Marco said Rubio that things? the Russians must have killed Epstein to help Trump. That was his theory. Did he actually say that? Like, was that really what he was saying, or was he starting slow by saying, oh, it smells Russian or whatever? You know, I you didn't watch it. I didn't out. actually watch yeah, the clip. I didn't either. So that's what I heard he said. Maybe he didn't say that. That's a good point. A second headline from the Washington Post, the dangerous cycle that keeps conspiracy theories in the news and Trump's tweets. A couple of lines from that one. Twitter in particular as a platform of choice of many national journalists as well as Trump has become the perfect vehicle for conspiracy theories, misinformation, and racist screeds to find massive <laughs> audiences as message grow from a few viral treats to a trending topic. Then it goes on to say, when you ask experts about ways to limit the reach of racism and conspiracy theories, so they just attach racism to this. This is a Jeffrey Epstein story. He's not black. Terrence K. Williams, the guy who they just uh, quoted for the tweet, is a black conservative, yet they attach racism to this as well. And they say Twitter amplifies it, and they go on to say that Becca Lewis, a research affiliate at Data and Society who studies far-right political subcultures online, argued that Trump has turned his Twitter account into a powerful propaganda tool for some of those far-right movements, which strangely there was a shooting in New Zealand today where nobody died in the shooting. Never good to have a shooting, always terrible, but the only reason it's in the news is because the person who did it, they found out was a white nationalist. There's shootings all over the world. They choose this one to highlight mm -hmm. on CNN and the other mainstream outlets. Here's a third one, how Trump's paranoia and conspiracy theories became U.S. policy. That goes on to talk about how Cory Booker blames Russia. Uh, fourth one, and this one is from the Huffington Post. YouTube conspiracy theory crackdown has one big winner, Fox News. Earlier this year, YouTube adjusted its recommended algorithm to deprioritize conspiracy theories. The change has yielded an unwitting beneficiary, Fox News. Previously, users who watch videos about hoaxes such as QAnon or Pizzagate could easily be pulled into an echo chamber of disinformation by YouTube's autoplay function, which queued up one conspiracy theory video after another. But now those who seek such content will often find a lineup of Fox News videos in lieu of more conspiracies. <laughs> but then they bury this deep in the article. 
the number of YouTube recommendations going from conspiracy theorist videos to news outlet videos has modestly increased for all mainstream media outlets in recent months because – but the increase for Fox alone has been bigger than that of BBC, CNN, CNBC, CBS, MSNBC, NBC, and ABC combined according to former Google engineer Gualami Chaslot who helped design YouTube's algorithm and who now tracks YouTube recommendations. So well, we've been talking about that for a long time. <laughs> First of all, he controls the algorithm. That he could easily flip that. There's no question. I mean, I remember when Parkland happened, they immediately turned off all real conspiracy stuff or or real anomalies. All count all unpatriotic facts were purged that day or the next day. I could no longer search. And I actually got suppressed personally that in the aftermath of that. But what you, but what you, that article, maybe it's not exactly uh, in support of what I, I'm gathering is the bigger picture here, but it definitely goes in that direction, which is, it, it's just like what we've been talking about for a few years now, where the, the mainstream media won't actually point to their better sources or their better evidence. They absolutely refuse to do that in claiming their superiority as a source of news. All they will allow is authority, authority, authority. And it, and it was glaringly obvious all along that they were not looking for objective touchstones. They were simply trying to assert themselves by their position. And yeah. this, I think, is going to be the uh, a, a major piece of that puzzle or whatever, another another support to that um, push. I, can, I completely agree. It's part of this ongoing process of regaining control of the information that people get since, as you talked about a lot, the internet opened it up a little bit. You no, know, it was started by DARPA. It still opened it up, and now they're reining it back in and yes. reestablishing control over everything. Yes, and I I think I underestimated the the extent to which the internet was put out there, not as like a a controlled platform or a limited hangout to be peeled back, whatever. I'm, I was just started to crack a an article, like a study or a paper, like a military paper that talked about how much – oh, and it also dovetails with the Cass Sunstein conspiracy theory paper, which I'm rereading for – it must be the fourth time, where it says that it's very hard to do what he calls cognitive infiltration, where you like change people's minds or make them – insert into their truth something crazy that will discredit them to others or lead them to like re rethink their conclusions. He says very hard to do that on a one by one basis in meat space where people can sniff you out. It's much easier to do that in the digital arena. And this all is making me think that, yeah, that the digital arena, that the internet was introduced for the purpose. Maybe I'm late to the game and connecting these dots, but that it was delivered to us for the purpose, it's not it's not a limited hangout. It's a corral. They gave it to us in order to get us out of the public square and into yep. the digital square. That's a great point. There's no public square anymore, hardly. Yeah, and that I I think was the the primary intention. And you can always find somebody who agrees with you on the internet, and you can they can fuel anger, and they you can it's dehumanized. The internet is because you don't have to see people, so people can be meaner. And, and they're going to be AI. Like it could be the way yeah. they say, 
like the Ku Klux Klan and militia movements and stuff, at a certain point, they were majority FBI. They were majority infiltrated. Maybe your little circle, which Google was created to identify birds, flocks of birds, whatever they call it. It is possible that every single person could be in an artificial flock where they are the only person, which could completely control and cordon you off and corral you that way. I'm going to continue to investigate those those two documents with this different way of thinking about it. Yeah, I think you're on to something. I have two more quick headlines about this, That and one of them has got a real kicker on it. This one here is from USA Today. Two years after Charlottesville, I'm fighting the conspiracy theory industrial complex. <laughs> and this is an article written by the guy who filmed – the car that rammed into the car in Charlottesville two years ago, mm-hmm. and which he was an activist, by the way. He was there. He was trained by Indivisible, I'm sure, to go. See, film. a lot of the those other people who promoted this violence there, they should have. There, you can be charged with crimes like felony murder, for example, where you contributed to the death of somebody. And yet, no, it's like same thing with Jeffrey Epstein. These guys get arrested or these things happen and they're big crimes. But the normal course of events is like everybody gets charged. You know, like just none of this seems like the normal course of events. If you've ever had a run in with the law, you know, it like it gets ugly and complicated and they scoop everybody up and it just doesn't unfold like this. Like that guy. I wonder if he was even ever taken in and interrogated. Like, what's your role here? Why you know, did you provoke this? You and your gang. I think he was treated like a hero from what I recall. Yeah, but the law – I believe that. But the law, I feel like, shouldn't – maybe I'm wrong. I mean maybe I need the details. But I, but it seems to me a lot of those people – oh, well, I guess that's obvious. Like a lot of those people were breaking the law just by not having permits and by inciting, uh, you know, provoking physical reactions. Anyway. Something interesting about Charlottesville that they don't talk about is that the prosecutor who prosecuted the – the white nationalist who was driving the car was a Trump-appointed prosecutor, yet Trump's the racist all the time. Mm-hmm. This article concludes by saying that the role in the conspiracy theory industrial complex in perpetrating violent acts of white supremacy and in confusing the post-tragedy narrative of these acts must be obscured. So once again, it's racist to be a conspiracy theorist. And here's the kicker. I think you'll like this one. From the New York Times, that's important. Epstein suicide conspiracy theories show how our information system is poisoned. With each news cycle, the false information system grows more efficient. The collision of two forces is so troubling that an FBI field office recently identified fringe conspiracy theories as a domestic terrorist threat. In this ecosystem, the media is frequently outmatched and despite its best intentions, <laughs> often, <laughs> often acts as an amplifier for the baseless claims even when – trying its best to knock them down. And then a little bit earlier in the article, it says, on Saturday afternoon, computational propaganda researcher Renee DeResta. Oh, my gosh. I know who she is. She was part of Army Cyber Command. She's one of the three people on the top of new knowledge. And boy, is she fishy. And that's exactly what I wanted you to hear. this, This is new knowledge, the only group who has been proven to create fake Russian bots and accounts and was their leader was suspended from Facebook for fake news are always the group that is cited when we go back to this fake news Russian bot stuff every single time. And this article, they quote her throughout this entire article. 
And that is why we believe in conspiracy theories, because the information, the analysis is given to us by military intelligence. Let me tell you that this. So you found that in The New York Times. I found today in The Wall Street Journal, the article is conspiracy theories fly online over Epstein's death. Then they go into I want to read a few passages we have a couple of minutes left on yeah, the Epstein topic. Okay. It says, among the more outlandish theories gathering attention on social media, Mr. Epstein, who for decades mingled with the rich and politically powerful, including President Trump and former President Bill Clinton, was murdered by someone fearful of what he might say. Another theory postulates Mr. Epstein isn't even dead. So the idea that there was foul play is an outlandish conspiracy theory. Because yeah. there was all this reason to think that people wanted him dead. They don't dispute that. But let me go on. The The real thrust of this article was it says uh, uh, the death of Jeffrey Epstein set off a wave of conspiracy theories online that demonstrate both how social media fuels misinformation and threatens to erode public acceptance of the results of any investigation. So this goes to where <laughs> this is a threat to the FBI. So the FBI says conspiracy theories are domestic terrorism, but now conspiracy theories are also a threat directly to the FBI in real cases. It says conspiracy theories are unlikely to complicate probes are likely conspiracy theories are likely to complicate probes underway by the Federal Bureau of Investigation and the Justice Department. And then Marco Rubio adds, haha, that uh, I mean, he's he's a clown, a dangerous clown, illustrates, he says, um, it illustrates why our society is so vulnerable to foreign disinformation and influence efforts. So there it is. Yeah. Yep, and he was part of the Senate Intelligence Committee. To that point, one of the articles, the CBS article earlier, they're listing off the examples of the conspiracy theories, which I find it interesting because in that article, it says Jeff. the headline is Jeffrey Epstein's death by apparent suicide. Mm -hmm. So they're even saying apparent suicide in the headline, yet they're calling people who question whether or not it's uh, suicide or whether or not he faked it conspiracy theorists. And as examples, they go, for example, former Mayor Rudy Giuliani, now an attorney for Mr. Trump, tweeted out several questions about Epstein's death. Who was watching? What does the camera show? Follow the motives, Giuliani tweeted Saturday afternoon. What about any of that is conspiratorial? That's a normal investigation. Those are questions anybody would ask. Yet they're framing them as though it's conspiratorial to ask the basic questions you would ask in any investigation. It is it is weird that the mainstream media is coming out with this. I'll tell you, I when when I was absolutely bombarded with competing conspiracy theories on Twitter the day it happened on Saturday, I could tell that that. The fodder was there, and then within minutes, I saw the uh, NBC.com, whatever, said, conspiracy theories are flying over Epstein in in the mainstream media. So I – it's clear to me some conspiracy theories are allowed to be talked about, and some are not. It's like Ann said, uh, who called in on the show on Saturday – so I think it goes – Republicans and conservatives are not – their conspiracy theories are crazy, but – Democrats are right, but the fact that some are allowed. Did, did you ever hear Giuliani say 9/11? <laughs> you know, a 9/11 conspiracy theory? Of no, course not. never. So he uh, just yeah. this is the one that's okay for him to talk about. Right, and I think a lot of this goes back to that Google News initiative. They are picking out the authoritative sources to let rise to the yeah. top. They are training, quote, training them. They, I mean, they're training them for free in how to 
identify what is a deep fake and what's not. And you know they're not really training them how to do it. They're training them to think that they know how to do it. Right, training exactly. Them to do. But you can't know. I mean, it's obvious you can't know. I will point out that in that Cass Sunstein article I was reading, Memo, on how to deal with conspiracy theories, it says in a closed society where we are a foreign place where we are allowed to go, we don't have a moral problem with interfering with people's news. We have paid off the press in like Iraq, for example, to publish stuff written by American insiders without saying who it is. And they act like they don't do that here. But two examples I found over the weekend, one I knew a long time ago, but it just popped back in my mind, was that Epstein did like pioneered the public rehabilitation of his image, including a whitewash piece by Michael Wolf, I think his name is, who wrote that Trump book, Fire yeah. and Fury or something, which was also full of it. But there was another article about his uh, altruism, his charity, that was pulled by Forbes after the New York Times revealed that the guy who wrote it was paid by Epstein, I think, to put his name on it and didn't even write it. Yeah. So what I'm saying is – oh, and then in on the journal on Saturday was this big article about how we need to give up our civil liberties because of white nationalism. And I'm thinking it's written by a journalist, but you know, I forgot to look, and the guy was complete, uh, like FBI, military, whatever. So that was white propaganda. But they also engage in black propaganda over here, which you don't know that the person is actually working for one side or the other. And that, I think, is is coming to us. And so you can't trust the mainstream stuff even here, and they're doing it intentionally to keep us from finding out the truth about some stories they don't want us to know. I think there's a lot of black propaganda going on over here, especially lately. Do you have a headline you want to go to? Uh, are we – Finished with the Epstein thing? I have one more Epstein thing. Yeah, go ahead. Just that Bill Barr is investigating, and he was going to, like, originally said he was going to recuse himself, and I smelled a rat with that. <laughs> Supposedly, his dad gave Epstein his first, like, legit job. That, I believe, is unconfirmed. And I remember reading Bill Barr's bio when he first was appointed or nominated saying, I, I noticed this like very brief stint at Kirkland and Ellis in an otherwise total like 10-year lull of his career. And I remember thinking, what the heck is that? And then he comes out when this Epstein thing reemerged some months ago saying, well, I worked at Kirkland and Ellis when they were one of his lawyers, so I can't look in the Alexandra Costa thing and all that kind of stuff. So it felt to me like he was being set up to have a conflict of interest with Epstein. And I think that is going to play into – this, which is about conspiracy theories, but it yeah. also the like, conspiracy theories themselves lend themselves to the dialectic and that did Trump did it or did Clinton do it? So now Bill Barr folds in with the Russia style with Trump for that end because they really needed to make that the Trump stuff just doesn't hold water with Epstein. As a matter of fact, it's the contrary. So I think all this stuff weighs on that side, which is why I think the Epstein story, this chapter of it was was scoped out long before the Miami Herald's articles like a year or two ago and i would say we if i wonder if brad edwards would consent to interviewing with us that's a good question we mm. can definitely contact him try to find out 
Yeah. Yeah. But I question. think that's all I have, except for I, I am eager to look at the 2000 new documents that are going to come out about Epstein, his detailed diaries, which I assume will be a limited hangout, which will exonerate a few choice people like Dershowitz or Prince Andrew. And I encourage people to listen to our last show, the WSB show, because we talk a lot more about this stuff in depth. Okay. Shifting gears. We've talked a little bit about the Hong Kong protest. Before it really kind of went mainstream, we were uh, bringing this up a little bit. The airport in Hong Kong has canceled all its flights, and it has been shut down due to protesters, activists, who have been conducting like a four-day sit-in, a common tactic used by Indivisible over here, except at a little bit more of an extreme level. And my theory has been that a lot of these protests, because they're calling them the resistance, they're talking about how they're pro-democracy and they're fighting authoritarians. They're using the same language that they use to describe Trump in the media, and I think that they're modeling these tactics to try and spread these types of protests, the boldness of these protests like a contagion around the world, specifically here in America. And right on the heels of that, there was protest all over the country today here in the United States. Activists conducted a mass sit-in similar to what was done over in Hong Kong, except they did it at Amazon physical stores and Amazon headquarters. They were protesting Amazon because of the company's work with ICE. So a similar tactic was mm-hmm. was used now all, all around America, and these tactics are also talked about in the Indivisible Guide, but I find it interesting that one kind of broke out. Shortly after it was publicized across, it was publicized that China, the Hong Kong had been doing it in China, and on top of that, there's another headline. Every single day I'm seeing headlines about the different types of protest tactics that the Hong Kong protesters are doing mm-hmm. and the type of tactics that the police are using to stop mm-hmm. them. So yeah, that Hong- was in the article today yeah. in the Wall Street Journal. Hong Kong police demonstrate water cannon as, po- as protests linger. Hong Kong police show off water cannons Monday as pro-democracy street protests stretched into the 10th week with no sign of either side backing down. The demonstration of specially equipped armored cars came with another week of protest at Hong Kong's bustling international airport and on the streets of one of the city's main shopping districts. Now, they also had an article that I didn't get to last week where they talked about the sonic weapons that – Hong Kong police or uh, Chinese police were going to be using in Hong Kong police to stop the protesters. So I just expect to continue seeing similar tactics mirrored over here that we're seeing there. And I expect them to grow bolder and bolder, just like these have grown bolder. And interestingly enough, protesters are rising up in Moscow as well that are threatening Putin, they say. And, and here's another headline from the Washington Post. The protesters of Hong Kong and Moscow aren't backing down. In two world cities, a defiant brand of people power is standing tall against authoritarian rule. I mean, that sounds like it's right out of the indivisible guide right there. And you know where else they gave us all that lots and lots of news about protests is France. But when I went yeah. actually over to France briefly, they were laughing. They were like, yeah, no. Although I did see some broken windows, I they said it was absolutely greatly exaggerated. Really? So I don't. So I would say the Hong Kong thing has a purpose. I believe I, you know, from what I was reading, that there there is a purpose to why we, our government, is promoting those protests, and I'm sure that we're doing it over in Moscow too. I mean, that was, I think, Stacey Abrams' affiliation in Russia had accusations that with I think they may even have been connected with Magnitsky. Like there was some yeah. plausible uh, argument that one of her internships was involved in kind of meddling with the politics of Russia. So I don't, wouldn't, I'd be very surprised if we don't have anything to do with that. 
Sure, we do, and Hong Kong similar. So that we have a purpose of that, but the the stories about the protests, to the extent that the stories about the protests in France were exaggerated over here or emphasized over here over the protests and the reason for the protests, that is interesting. Yeah, it, it's interesting. They they are gonna they're gonna focus on that and they're gonna dramatize it to make it appear bigger as it, bigger than it is in hopes of spreading it and making it bigger and manifesting reality, kind of like they do with the resistance over here. JJ commented on – I posted this link on Twitter today about these protests, and he commented about a color revolution. That's that's really, I think, what it is. I think it's, they're trying to spark kind of a worldwide color revolution. And, that's what and it looks uh, like. Nomadic Everyman tweeted back, uh, or a no-color revolution because yeah. uh, the color-neutral revolution just for, for um, PC's sake perhaps. Uh, so – can I give you two quick headlines. Yeah. Google put on Kremlin's growing list of alleged Moscow rally promoters. So both China and Russia have accused uh, the United States, people in the United States or organizations, of causing the protest. And then another one, as we talk about the parallels between Hong Kong protesters and what's going on over here, here's another parallel. Hong Kong protests take the battle online, the war on misinformation. So we're also fighting the war on misinformation. Mm -hmm. It's all parallel. Yes, and and actually that also emphasizes this idea that it depends on your government and your type of government whether conspiracy theories make sense or not. So we can infiltrate their news. We can put misinformation, or he calls it counter-misinformation is what – he doesn't call it truth. He doesn't counter call it truth. He calls it counter-misinformation. Yeah. Uh, okay, well, I've got a couple of like kind of financial quick hits and um, two other things. All right, so just – uh, on my watch is just story after story about interest rates going down, zero interest rates, an inverted yield curve. No one has ever mentioned that the national debt now exceeds GDP in this country. That is an unprecedented, in peacetime anyway, and dangerous situation. And that they have to keep in if they're keeping interest rates artificially low, it is masking that uh, and. And just making things, just begging for a major crisis. Uh, also, on the kind of economics front, reading articles about how housing is hot everywhere except L.A. L.A., for some reason, even though there's a desperate housing shortage, it, their housing starts or their permits are going down. And nobody is mentioning that L.A. is having a major political push to uh, – have rent control. And as soon as you think rent control is coming, you're not going to build a house, an expensive house with expensive land and expensive construction workers, if you think you're not going to be able to get the rents that make sense. So rent control, even even just rumors of rent control, uh, reduce supply just when you need it the most. So those are my economic moments. And then I have two other quick hits. Uh, if you if you want to if you have anything, otherwise I'll. I got a go. I got uh, go. one. All right, this one, the New Yorker, it's like a 15-page article. It's a 43-minute read. They actually have the audio of it as well, so you don't have to read it. The title is Stacey Abrams' Fight for a Fair Vote as a 45-minute read? Yep. It's a manifesto. This is this is her. Yeah, it's this is the door opening for her <laughs> to to usher her in because there's no candidates. The only the leading candidate right now doesn't know what year it is. Joe Biden. So they're going to be calling for somebody else, and this talks about how the most consequential issue and the least discussed so far is voter suppression and fair and you know 
voter rights. And then towards the end of the article, it talks about how Abrams has yet to decide if she will run for office again. For now, she focused on the irregularities that her campaign faced, and then towards the end of the article, it does the thing where he goes, when I asked Abrams if she was going to run for president, she quickly shut me down, saying she's focused on the fair fair fight, but she you know, didn't rule it out. So the same stuff that she says every time, and I think this little expose on her because it goes through her entire background, and it talks about how she didn't really lose Georgia. It was taken from her. And all the all the BS about her and just it glorifies her. And I think that we're going to start seeing her in the news more and more again. I think it's coming. Well, I will just say for anyone who hasn't heard me say it before, she has no credibility when it comes to voting integrity when she was running against the guy who as was absolutely covered up for, suppressed, had civil suits filed against him for the irregularities when he was Secretary of State running the presidential election in 2016. I mean, there is just there is no question that she could have blown the lid off of Brian Kemp in exactly that issue, and she did not touch it. So she's got no credibility there. I'm going to save my other two stories for tomorrow. Do we have time for one quick? It'll take about 20 seconds. I thought this if one was funny. If you have to get it out today, do it today. Bizarre new VR makes people feel like they're spiders. A new reality illusion can trick users' brains into thinking they inhibit a non-human body like a bat or a spider. So anybody who says advanced video games don't affect your psyche is lying to you. <laughs> You can find the drive time prop at thepropreport.com every day at 4 p.m. or your favorite podcasting platform. We'll talk to you next time.